Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Well, this is the second uh, weekend of Advent season. And so often we use terms like Advent and we uh, are unfamiliar with the uh, kind of origin. Uh, Advent comes from uh, the Latin word adventus, and what it means is to wait. But not to wait impatiently, but to wait with preparation of the heart. And what are we preparing our hearts for in this season? Well, the same thing that the, the people were preparing their hearts for on that first Christmas, and that is the fulfilled promise of the coming Messiah. And we are preparing our hearts for celebration that God did fulfill his promise in sending Christ into the world so that all who, who were uh, far from God could have a relationship with him. How many still praise God for John 3:16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the verse that changed my life and it's the verse that continues to change lives all around the world. Today, we're gonna talk about God's precious promises. And what is a promise? It is believing uh, for the unseen. I was talking to my wife, the other day and I asked her a question, I asked you this question, what is the greatest promise anyone has ever given you? What is the greatest promise anyone has ever made to you? Now, if you're married, you're probably gonna look at your spouse the way my wife looked at me and say, you better answer that one correctly. Uh, we often think about those exchanging of vows at the altar. If you've been married, you know what I'm talking about, this commitment you have to one another, to have and to hold in sickness and health, richer or poorer, better or worse, until death do us part. But that's not the only place that we make promises, is it? I think parenting is also another relationship in which we make some pretty big promises. How many agree with that as parents? We make promises, uh, not as formal as maybe a wedding ceremony, but we're saying to our children, I'm gonna take care of you, I'm gonna provide for you, and occasionally I even promise to change your diapers along the way. And in exchange, they promise that when we get old, they'll change our diapers, so treat them nice. Um, but not only in parenting do we make those types of promises, but I think in church we do as well. There's a promise between pastors and leaders and those that they shepherd. Our promise to you is that we will faithfully teach you the word and hopefully create an environment, a community in which we are living the word of God. And, and you promise that you'll grow in God's word and seek to faithfully obey God's word not just in church, but even at work. What is your promise between you and your boss? That you will do your job as long as they pay you and they promise that they'll pay you as long as you do your job. We make promises all over throughout our lives. Our lives are really based off of these promises back and forth between us and someone else. But here's the second question, I think this is maybe even the more important question, and that is, how do you know whether or not you can trust someone to keep their promises? After all, that's at the crux of it all. 
can I trust you to keep your promises? Well, this is exactly what's happening in the passage of Scripture we get a chance to look at today. If you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a series that we've entitled Gift Wrapped, From Longings to Lavished, where we're looking at the covenants that God has made to his people throughout redemptive history. Today, we get a chance to look at one of the most significant covenants in all of history, and that is the Abrahamic covenant. Now, what is a covenant? A covenant is a binding promise between two parties that uh, is established upon the character of those parties. And this covenant that God makes with Abraham, we're going to see, is strong. And it's strong not because of Abraham, but because of the character and nature of God. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Now, if you were to try to outline the Old Testament, there's a number of different ways you can go about outlining the Old Testament. But one of the ways you could do it is just by remembering five historical figures of the Old Testament. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. These are the five major figures of the Old Testament. They were administers of the covenant, and all of them building up to the promise of the Messiah who brings the new covenant, praise God, in which through faith in Christ, we are able to experience salvation, forgiveness, and redemption. How many praise God for the covenant promise of the Messiah? But we have to understand the history of this. And the history of this, in, in many ways, centers upon a man named Abraham. And when we encounter him today in the chapter we're going to look at, his name had not yet been changed to, to Abraham. It was still Abram. Abraham meaning the father of many uh, many nations, but he is still Abram at this point, a fatherless man. Now, if you study the covenant of Abraham between Abraham and God, it spans three key chapters, chapter 12 of Genesis. And in chapter 12, we're not going to look at that today, but this is where promises are made. God promises, I will make you a great nation. I will give you land and I will give you an offspring. This is in exchange for Abraham or Abram leaving his father's country and following God in faith. God makes these bold and these precious promises. But here's the kicker, is that Abraham gets this promise of an offspring, and he is 75 years young. And if you are 75 years young, praise God for that. Amen. But yet his wife, being 10 years older, younger than him, rather, uh, was at a place where both of them felt like uh, this is beyond a miracle. This is impossible. No way we're having children now. Well, on top of that, God lets years go by, and now we visit Abram in chapter 15, and there are thoughts that are going through his mind. God, I have the promise, but yet the provision for the promise has not shown up yet. And Abraham is asking the question that you and I often ask, and that is, can I trust you? God, will you come through and fulfill your word? And if you're struggling with that question today, don't feel like you're alone in that. You're not alone. Every human heart has moments where we ask those questions. But our God is big enough. And he responds to Abram. And in chapter 15, what we're going to see is this, is that God's promises are firmly anchored in God's character. That's how we know whether or not we can trust someone. It is their character. And what God wants Abram to know, what he wants us to be convinced of, is that because of his character, 
we can have confidence in his promises. And that truth should cause us to respond in three ways. And we're gonna look at those three ways by looking at the life of Abram. The first way is to rest in God's reassurances. Look at verse number one of chapter 15. And in verse number one of chapter 15, it says this, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Fear not, Abram, comes to Abram because he's afraid. God doesn't waste words. He wouldn't have to tell Abram not to fear, not to doubt, not to have anxiety or worry if those things weren't present. And why was Abraham afraid? He had a lot of reason to be afraid. After all, he lived in the fallen world. Now, if we went back just one chapter to Genesis chapter 14, what we would see is that Abraham, kind of unexpected, unplanned, had to devise a rescue mission for his nephew Lot. Why? Because these marauders, these invaders, had come into Abraham's land where his family and his people and his herdsmen were, and not only did they come and rob Abraham of possessions, they kidnapped his nephew, Lot, and uh, part of his family. And so Abraham goes from being a herdsman to being a warrior, and he goes after Lot, and he rescues Lot. But in the meantime, he makes enemies of various tribes around uh, that are given this generalized name, the Amorites, which represents 10 tribes in that region. They're now after him. No doubt part of his fear was the fear of retaliation, that at any moment, this group might want to retaliate. But I don't think that was his greatest fear. You know, I think his greatest fear was that in Genesis 12, you promised me a child. I was 75 then, and to make matters worse, I'm older now and still no child. God, are, are you going to come through? I, I'm nervous. I'm a, I, I don't know when I'm going to die. It may be tomorrow, maybe close, and yet I still don't have an heir. How does God respond to Abram? Well, I love this verse. It is so precious. It is so beautiful. It is so tender. God doesn't rebuke Abram uh, for being afraid. He does not get angry at him for his doubts or his fears. No, he comes close to him. And it says again in verse number one that the Lord came to Abram in a vision. In a vision, he shows up, this extraordinary moment. Everyone didn't get visions, folks. Everyone didn't get these special visitations from God, but God comes close to his servant, Abram. And what does he say to him? He says, fear not, Abram. That tells me so much about the nature and the character of our God. Make no mistake about it, this is still early on in their relationship between Abram and Yahweh. And so Abram is still getting to know Yahweh's character. And what he's learning in this moment is this, this is a God, unlike any of the other gods, this is a God that I can bring all of who I am to. Not just my triumphs and and my joys, but I can bring my doubts and my fears and let that speak to your heart today. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know. Scripture doesn't enumerate all of Abram's fears. I know there were a lot. And I know that you and I live in a fallen world in which the brokenness of this world shows up in a multiplicity of ways. And there are no doubt doubts and fears and anxieties in your own heart. I want you to see how God responds to Abram because 
It's a model of how God responds to us. He comes close to us in moments of worship. Maybe not not in this extraordinary way like Abram. This is something unique and special. But he comes close to us through his word, through his people, through moments of worship where we experience his presence. And what does he say to us? Through his precious promises, he says, fear not. Well, why shouldn't I be afraid? Why? Why should I not be afraid of the tribes that are coming against me? Why shouldn't I be afraid that I'm getting older, maybe near death, and I'm about to die and I don't have a child? Why should, not, should I not be afraid? God's response to that question is because I am your shield. It's because of me. It's because of who I am. I am your shield. I am your protector. I am your preserver. I promise you I will keep you until the promise is fulfilled. I will not let you pass away without fulfilling my promise to you. How many thank God that the promise was based in God's character and not Abram's character? Abram was weak in faith. God was mighty and strong. He was his shield. And some translations translate the rest of the verse as saying, and your exceedingly great reward. There is a reward for us putting our faith, our trust, and our belief in him. And this is exactly what God wanted to remind uh, or inform Abram of. And this is what he wants to remind us of today, my friends. Rest, rest. He is promised and he will keep his promises. Our God is a promise keeper. Yes, he's a promise giver, but he's a promise keeper. And we need to rest and trust in his promises, that his character is strong enough that he will watch over us. You know, I don't know how many of you are into sci-fi movies. How many watch sci-fi movies and love sci-fi movies? When I came in and I saw all these new cameras, I felt like they were robots. It caused me to think of sci-fi movies. I don't know what your favorite one is, but uh, some of you who follow sci-fi movies may remember this 2013 film called After Earth. Anybody remember that? about two people in the entire room. After Earth was not a box office hit. It was not critically acclaimed. Some of you are jogging your memories, pulling out your phones and Googling it right now. Don't worry about that too much. There's a point I'm trying to make. What makes this movie so great to me is that it's a father-son saga. And as a dad, I love those types of movies. From Finding Nemo to After Earth, I'm uh, addicted to those type of father-son's movies. It features as the main star, Will Smith, and his son, a young Jaden Smith. And they live in a time where, as the title says, Earth had been ransacked. The environments of Earth were just about uninhabitable. They're on a different planet, uh, part of the royal family, but yet they have a strained father-son relationship. And in order to repair the relationship, they go back to visit Earth. And as they're flying back, the the, uh, ship that they're on crashes. And it crashes at a very dangerous part of Earth at that time. Well, Will Smith, the dad, is, is injured in the crash so he can't go out and search for the resources they need to repair the ship. The young son has to go out, equipped with nothing but a little earpiece that keeps him in uh, communication with his dad, and his dad is able to see him through this series of satellites exactly where he is. So throughout the movie, the son encounters all of these dangerous foes and enemies from animals to people. And yet when his heart feels most overwhelmed, seems to be the most overwhelmed throughout the movie, I love this, the dad comes through his earpiece and says to him over and again, son, I want you to pause. I want you to take a knee and listen to my voice. And every time Will Smith does that with his son, his son gets calm, 
gets refocused, and is able to complete the journey. What a perfect analogy for what God does with Abram, what God does with, uh, with us. It seems like there are times when earth is so uninhabitable. Anybody ever been there before? It seems like there are times when it's uh, so many enemies and dangers all around us, and we feel overwhelmed, can't sleep at night, full of anxieties and fears. I want you to hear the Lord saying, listen to my voice, take a knee, trust me. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I will keep my promise to you. How many thank God for his goodness and for his grace? Well, then he goes on in the heart of this chapter, gives us a second way we respond to God in faith, and that is to believe God for his promises. Look at verse number two with me, and it says, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. This is, this is Abraham's synopsis of his situation from his perspective. From his perspective, whatever it's worth, God, there's no way that this can happen. Everything you're saying, because I don't even have an heir, you haven't given me a child. But I praise God that God's view of my situation is different than my view of my situation. And it's true for you as well, because if you pick up on verse number four, look at what God's response is to Abram. And behold, the word of the Lord came to, to him. And now God is about to give him his perspective. This man shall not be your heir, your servant, your, I'm sorry, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. Not a servant, but a son. Verse number five, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, how would you have responded? I think about it as I read this passage. How would I have responded if God would have said this to me at uh, 44, let alone 84, or whatever age Abraham was, upwards of 75 years of age? God takes him out this starry night and says, look up into the heavens. You can number the stars. This is what your offspring is going to be. Not just one child, Abram, but I'm going to bless you. I'm going to fulfill my promise to make you a great nation, and through you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Well, I don't know how you would have responded, and honestly, though I hope the best, I don't even know how I would have responded, but I do know from Scripture how Abraham responded. Abram responded by believing God, believing God. And what did God do? God counted it to him as righteousness, you are an unrighteous man, Abram, but this, this, believing me, is an act of righteousness. Uh, Paul picks up on this in uh, Romans chapter 4 where he establishes that under the new covenant, Abram becomes a prototype where we are justified not by our works, praise God, but by our faith in him. We bring nothing to the party. He brings everything. All we can do is either believe him or not. How many have made a decision? I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart for my salvation and my redemption because he is faithful and worthy. 
Verse number seven introduces us to another promise, not only a promise of an offspring, but a promise of land. Look at verse seven. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Another moment of doubt in his mind as he questions God. Maybe you're here and you can relate. Verse number nine, he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Think about what's going on here. This is now becoming something far more intense, something far more ceremonial. If you don't know what's going on, Abraham surely does because this was the exact practice that happened in the ancient Near East where Abraham was born and raised when two great parties were entering into a covenant with one another. Verse number 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring shall be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants from there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Verse 14 introduces us to a third promise, the promise of redemption. But I will bring judgment on the nation that, uh, that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. In other words, I will redeem them. Verse 15, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. What an intense moment. This is more than just an event of Abraham's life. This is the watershed event of Abraham's life. This is more than just a day ripped out of the pages of history. This is one of the apex moments of redemptive history. God is cutting covenant with man so that through Abraham and his seed, he might bring forth a Messiah a Messiah who would live a perfect life, die for you and me, be raised from the grave with all power in his hand to bring salvation to all who believed in him. This is the moment in many ways that it is marked by covenant. Now, this covenant act was to bring these animals. We read about these animals. I don't have enough time to go into all of it, but he cuts these animals in half and lays the halves next to one another. Now, what would typically happen is the two parties, as they're exchanging promises, will walk through the middle of these uh, animals as a way of saying, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I don't keep my word. That's how strong this is binding. But if you notice... In verse number 17, two parties did not pass through the animals. Only one party passed through the animals. God, as represented by this fire, passes through the animals. In other words, God is saying this covenant is not based off of the strength of what we both bring to the party. This covenant is based off of the strength of what I bring to the party. 
It is based off of the strength of my character. Oh man, I wish I had an extra hour, but let's quickly keep our fingers there and let's go to Hebrews chapter six. Hebrews chapter six. And in Hebrews chapter six, we see a little bit more about the character of our God. Look at verses 17 and 18. When you're there, say amen. Verses 17 and 18, Hebrews chapter six. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Folks, this is the character of our God. It is impossible for him to lie. This is not a God of low moral character. This is a God in which everything he says is yes and amen. You can trust in him. You can trust in his word. He will fulfill his promises. And so why should we obey him? Why should we worship? Why should we give our lives to him? It's because he alone and all of humanity, he alone and all of the gods of the pantheon, he alone has this character in which it is impossible for him to lie. He is trustworthy. So you can trust in his promises. Abram did, God counted it to him as righteousness and blessed him. What about you, what about me? How are we gonna respond to the righteous character of God and to his precious promises? Well, there's a third way we should respond, and that is to anticipate God's provision for a forever home. Look at verses 18 through 21, and it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. Now, never confuse your Jebusites with your Gergesites. A lot of problems happen when you do that. These are all tribes that are in the land. And what, what God is saying, Abraham, I know when you look at this land, you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to possess it? It already has all these mighty tribes. If I go in as weak as we are as a people, there's no way we're going to be able to possess it. What God says to Abram is, don't you worry about that. I will drive them out before you. Though they seem great, just know that your God is greater. Oh man, I feel like shouting. I don't know what problem you're facing. Though it seems great, just know that your God is greater. Though the odds may feel stacked against you, how many know that our God is greater than any enemy or foe that rises against us? Our God is great. He is undefeated forever and for eternity. He says to uh, Abram, he says, don't you be afraid. I'm gonna give you this land. I'm gonna drive them out before you. And he did just that. If time permitted, we would go to Joshua 23 and verse 14 where Joshua says, and now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. And I can say that God has kept all of his promises to you. And this land promise in particular was fulfilled. God gave them the land from the river Egypt to the great Euphrates. And aren't we blessed to live in a generation 
in which his people, his special covenant people, Israel, God is still honoring and fulfilling his promise for that land, for his people, in spite of the nations around them, in spite of all the opposition against them, God is their protector, God is their defender. How many praise God that he is faithful to his people? And you may say, well, that's great for them. That is awesome for them. But what does that got to do with me? Don't forget Genesis 12. Abram, I will bless you, and through you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God always had in his purview, you and I, beyond just Abram. This is a covenant about a nation who will give birth to a Messiah, Messiah who will be named Jesus who will die for the sins of the world, propitiation for us, paying a debt we could not pay. You can't pay for your own forgiveness. You can't fix yourself. You can't redeem yourself. It's a foolish thing to say, I'll get serious about God after I clean myself up. You can't do it. If you could, you wouldn't have needed a savior. You needed a savior. And Abraham knew there was something far more at stake than just this earthly land promise. How do you know, Chris Brooks? Well, I'm glad you asked. One last verse, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, this hall of fame of faith. Abraham wanted more than just physical land, the land of Canaan. Look at what it says in verses 8 through 10 and then verse 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking forward to more than just an earthly city. Verse number 16, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They wanted a city beyond this earth. I know we're in a season of gift giving, and there's so many wonderful gifts, but there is a greater gift than any gift you will get on this earth. There is the gift of heaven to be in the presence of God forever and ever, and we realize that gift through faith in Christ. They were looking for something beyond this world. What about you? What are you looking for? What are you looking for? What is your heart yearning for? I hope you're yearning and looking for something that this world can't satisfy. So many people make promises, so much disappointment, but God's promises never end in disappointment. He's a promise keeper. I promise you, he will keep his promises because his character is so great. So, if you are longing for something that money can't buy. Love and forgiveness and grace and mercy and restoration. If you're longing for these things, the answer is found in Jesus. Put your trust in him just like Abram did. He will count it to you as righteousness. He will forgive you and he will give you what earth cannot give. How many praise God for that truth? And if you are watching me via online right now, I want you to respond either by texting the number that will show up on your screen if you're watching YouTube or by just putting connect in the comment line if you're looking at us on Facebook right now. And if you're in person, as soon as we are done worshiping today, we're gonna end in worship, I want you to come so that we can pray together.
But we get a chance to close in communion. And communion is a covenant act. You know, when Abraham's heirs entered into covenant with God, their sign of the covenant was circumcision. Um, we have communion and baptism. These are the signs of the new covenant. And the Bible says that on that night in which Jesus knew he was gonna be betrayed, he took the bread. Uh, if you can open that up, take the bread. And he says, and he broke it and says, this is a covenant in my blood, my body being broken for you. Let us partake together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank God for the broken body that was pierced for our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed. Amen. Then after supper, he took the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The promise of the new covenant. That by faith in Christ, we can be forgiven. Our sins can be forgiven. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us partake together. Lord, we thank you today. There is no one greater in all the earth, in heaven, that you alone are worthy to be praised. God, as we look at Abram, we recognize that he was one man that you were merciful to, and it wasn't because of how great he was, but it was because of how great you are. And so today, we stand here, not on our own merits, but trusting in your character, we recognize that there is no one greater than our God. And so with the joy of our heart, we give you praise. And all God's people said a big amen and amen. Come on and stand with me all over this room. Let's give God praise, glory, and honor. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.